In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We're looking at the Old Testament text, Genesis today. We'll touch a little bit on the doctrinal heritage we have there, and we'll look a little bit at uh, maybe one or two things we have not emphasized. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Two key doctrines here, as you have doubtless picked up, justification by faith and imputation. Justification by faith, as our article says, Article 11, of the justification of man. I think women are implicated in this as well. We are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith and not for our own works or deservings. Wherefore, that we are justified by faith only is a most wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort, as more largely expressed in the homily of justification. Justification by faith, and this is a place to stop a little bit. This is sola fide, after all, the article by which the church stands or falls. Faith in faith, yes, it can become that, and we'll get to that. But right now, faith alone. What is faith? I'm not going to go there. Every good son or daughter of the Reformation, as I am, was, sorry, in recovery, knows that sola fide depends on sola gratia. Faith is the gift of grace by imputation. He counted it to him as righteousness. He accounted, if you like, a little sleight of hand. He credited it to his account. Grace, in other words, is free. It's not cheap. We don't earn it at all. It simply appears in our account through the work of Christ. That's what we say. How do we reformed theologians and brothers and sisters in Christ act? Just like the evangelicals, of course. Faith is a work, something you work very hard to get and work even harder to hang on to. And it's a matter of getting through God's word fast enough to get to a doctrine or a single verse or both if you put them together, some, high, uh, some tight and hard verbal formulation that you can grasp. So much for faith. But another question, faith in what? What is then the faith of Abraham? In what does Abraham believe or trust? What Abraham has believed is a promise. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. As Avram and his wife Sarai are well beyond the childbearing, let alone child-rearing years, and had also up to now shown no signs of being able to produce offspring on their own, this promise is incredible. Yet credulity, if not credibility, is exactly what Abram brings to it and that secures the bargain, the covenant. Now, there's a huge word 
for Reformed people because we measure everything by covenants, not by dispensations. May it never be that we will hear that word here or see all those charts of the end times. That is the way of the Antichrist. We stick firmly to the gracious and steady procession of unfolding covenants, each one being gathered into the one before. The covenant, I could go on, but it is a bond in blood, sovereignly administered, as it has been defined by a very good covenant theologian. And a covenant is here about to be cut. Deals are made, contracts are signed, but covenants are cut. Barit Karat in the ancient Near East, and it is animals who see their lives cut short to secure a bargain. Why does God now do this? As an act of mercy, if you like, to Avram, whose faith, though there, wavers, and we see that again and again. God does not originate this practice of animal sacrifice. It's common practice in the ancient Near East. And again and again in his work of damage control, God gathers what is already around and seeks to reinvest it with meaning. The killing, the passing through the divided remains, emphasize two parties who have come into agreement. Now, it's interesting that in these ancient treaties, uh, the only the one who passes through the divided carcasses is actually agreeing to the agreement in all its uh, implications. And that person is God. What God is saying as he goes through these animals is that this is how it will be for the one who fails to keep the terms of this covenant. Sobering. So just as well to believe Avram is probably saying, uh, you're giving me an offer I can't receive. Why not have faith? And then follows the mysterious aerial ballet between the smoking fire pot and the torch, presaging surely the pillars of cloud and fire that will gather the people of God some four centuries later, at least according to the Apostle Paul, and be for those people in the desert no less than the presence of God. A presence so strong that you'll remember Moses says, do not leave us without your presence. We have no hope, Lord, without your presence with us. Getting a bit ahead of us, back to faith. Aside from the instructions that Avram has been given, one wonders what else he might have inferred about the nature of the God with whom he was dealing and the content of the faith that he was being given. Given that the law is not given from Moses, from Sinai until Exodus, and that's four centuries, again, Paul's arithmetic, I haven't quite figured it out, but he says 430 years in Galatians 3.17, so that's good for now. The time in the desert, sequestered in captivity, and the time in Egypt, rather, the 400 years there, has not been conducive to theological exploration or spiritual growth. We see no evidence of that whatsoever in the people of God. One wonders what makes the people of God the people of God, apart from just their DNA. And just that, I'm tempted to say. But there's more. We'll go back to the first covenant 
Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Avram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, who wouldn't want this? Sounds a lot like health and wealth to me. And we know that that works if you can get into it. But as we look over Avram or Abraham as he becomes, and his journey trying to keep step with the Lord and keep in faith with this unknown God, we notice that he goes a long time without getting much of any kind of blessing. And he dies without seeing much of the cosmic scope of this promise come to fruition. They've hardly covered a few hundred miles in the desert when he goes to his place of rest. I would suggest that nothing human, covenant or not, can sustain Abraham through this exercise in delayed gratification. There has to be something more in that encounter with the divine that sustains him. Only the spirit can inspire that personal presence of God, which become those two pillars for the people in the desert but the pot of smoke and flame vanish as quickly as they have come. They're more enigmatic than anything. And Abraham responds to it all by going into a deep and very troubled dream. Now from troubled dreams in scripture, many things come. But we're not shown what those are either. Where is the spirit in this text? Because only spirit, again, can inspire the faith that inspires the obedience to take the first step on that epic journey. Nothing from inside us, only spirit coming in from the outside that somehow gets into the depths of our very being, seizes hold of us, and won't let go until it's had its way with us and sent us on our way. The empowering presence of the living God that is the spirit. And Belford Yulinov writes, the spirit is not a cozy presence. The spirit bears a sword. It cuts through our joints and lays our heart bare. Like the wind, we don't know where it's come from or where it's going. We cannot capture it. We cannot control it. <laughs> this is the essence of the spirit and the essence of the presence of God. We cannot capture God's presence. We cannot tie him down. We cannot control him. But I'm moving us toward considering it is the most important thing we either have or don't anywhere in our walk of faith. So where does Abraham encounter in that presence the spirit of the living God, the spirit who challenges? Yes, we know that. Because the first words that God says to him today are, fear not. The spirit we shall all receive, however, at our own Pentecosts, the spirit who also encourages and loves, where is that? In that same greeting, salutation from the Lord. Don't be afraid. I'm with you, I'm for you, I've got your back, I am your shield. 
I love you, the Spirit is saying. He plants that seed of love, of the embrace of divine love, in which Avram puts his trust. He says, you are mine, I am yours, I am your God, and you are my people. The covenant formula in its purest form, Jeremiah 31. I am yours, and you are mine in this mutual embrace. Don't be afraid. It will get you nowhere. And indeed, it gets him off the track again and again when he gives in to the flesh, into fear, and tries to pass Sarai off his sister. It doesn't cut it with God. How Avram could have been made so receptive to this spirit, we don't know. The encounters are terse. What would have sustained him, let alone his children and the 12 tribes that issue forth, went down into Egypt from prosperity to captivity and onto the promised land? What would be the content of the faith? We don't know. We have these few words. And these few words are words we've often overlooked. I've never seen that the most important words in this whole transaction are fear not. That's the key to the whole thing. It tells us the kind of heart with which Abraham receives the message from God. I remember how I used to preach in my reform days. <laughs> and it was always like this, grasping some truth. A friend of mine, Father Tom Fraser, came up one day and said, you know, Father Martin, You've got to remember, when you do this, what are you doing? I said, I'm grasping this. He said, I'll tell you what it looks like to us from out front. It looks like this, and he put his fist in my face. He was right, of course. It's the last thing that I wanted to hear 10, 12 years ago, that my faith was mainly driven by fear, that my beautiful reformed faith in which everything is laid out utterly clear, there is no mystery in that. And that was not enough for me. I wanted to slow up every final, every final apparent inconsistency in scripture, and dot every I. I was a holy terror, let me tell you. <laughs> and it was all about this, I've got it right here this faith right here in this book. Don't anyone try to take it away from me. Well, you can do a little bit that way, but you're not gonna found the promised land that way. And God has been kind enough to keep telling me there are other ways and that he is another God altogether. Who is the God to whom Avram prays? Half a millennium is a long time to go on the basis of an encounter with a presence from our point of view. But if the sense of that presence was so strong, intuited, inferred, implicit, however he drew it in, yes, that would sustain the church to this day. And it does. Again, Anne Ulanov, only the Spirit ushers in, in, us into the presence of, of the Holy. 
Only the Spirit can call us out from our familiar country, as it called Abraham, who was asked to go to a completely strange place merely on the basis of a promise. Only the Spirit can drive us into the desert, as it did Jesus, and face us with temptations that involve the most powerful symbols of our culture. Only the Spirit can overshadow us, as it does with Mary, and make us pregnant with a life that is so new we must from henceforth live entirely from a different point of departure. Only the Spirit can meet us when we're fleeing like Jacob from betrayal, guilt, theft. Only the Spirit will wrestle us and wound us in the night as we call for a blessing and grant it. We do well to remember that. If we want the faith of Abraham, we will not get far without that same spirit. Nor were we ever meant to. And this is not a spirit of fear. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, his power, through our weakness and love and self-control. A control based on peace and surrender, not on grasping. Abraham was not bullied or browbeaten into his pilgrimage to a far country, his quest in search of an unknown goal by some supernatural display of force, all stick and no carrot. He was seized rather with desire, a determination so strong to do what the unknown God had asked of him that he would on his better days put his life on the line for that which he knew only as a promise. Our way into that promise comes only through Jesus, who puts his life on the line for us. Not by scaring us to death with fear of hell and damnation and other religions, but saying that if you follow me, you have nothing to fear. I am, like he says today in that glorious maternal image, I am like a mother hen who will spread her wings around you, who will give her life to those foxes which stalk our lives in the world outside and even in the church. Only the Spirit can let us live too beyond our timidity. We love the fellowship we share with one another, and so we should. That is the Spirit's gift. There are times we can draw the walls in a little too tight. The church was never meant to be the country club or even a social club. Even maybe not a service club. It was meant to be a radical brother and sisterhood that turns this world upside down. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. For in this outpouring of the spirit of prophecy, men and women will rise up with every generation to claim the radical nature of the gospel that we are offered, the faith of Abraham, 
to make this world into the promised land. What is our faith then? And how is our faithfulness to be expressed? Questions like these must never be far, far, far from us. I'm almost done. For every day his mercy is new. And every day he says to us, honor your tradition and do something new. Look at those texts again and again and see what new light and truth is embedded in them plainly on the surface, but we've never stopped to dwell there and abide there, like the fear not that he says to Abraham. We will need that spirit if we are faithful to help us in our times of sharing and in our times of discernment and our times out there in the world in the difficult, dangerous, and exhilarating days ahead. He has promised that gift to us. The Spirit is within. Let us teach one another how to receive that Spirit every day. Amen.